filibuster is supported through Patreon by listeners like you. Check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster. We also get support from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia. They handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. For our listeners who don't know, I'm I'm a lifelong Washington Capitals fan. Um, (gasps) I'm literally wearing, like, I didn't plan this. I literally am wearing a Stanley Cup Champions t-shirt right now. Um, And so, as you might have noticed from social media during DC's game against Montreal, a bunch of Capitals were in the building. I think it was five or six of them. Um, So after the game, um, we hustled down from the press box to the interview room for Ben Olsen's interview. And then you hustle over to the locker room to do player interviews. Um, and so you're, there's a lot of, you know, hustling and uh, trying to communicate who's going to do what, because we've got Steven Streff and I are both in there. So I want to make sure we're not both trying to get the same interview because that's a waste of time. Um, so there's a lot going on all in a very short amount of time. So after the game, after we do all that stuff, we're back up in the press box Um we're both listening to audio, trying to transcribe it so that Steven can churn out um, his uh, reactions piece uh, so we can get going. And someone from DC United staff happens to walk in and, and sat down at the table across from us. And he's like, man, that Tom Wilson is a big guy. I mean, I'm pretty tall, but he's ridiculous. And I was like, where do you see Tom Wilson? And I, I know he's, he was here somewhere. And he was like, what do you mean? Where did I see him? We all just walked right past him. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, outside the locker room. You didn't notice the like, several gigantic men standing right near the locker room door. And I was like, I just noticed some people. I, what are you talking about? He's like, that was the caps. They were all just staying there waiting for the media to clear out, to go say hi to the players. They wanted to go say hi to. Um, and so, yeah, I just completely missed any, I mean, it would have been horrendously unprofessional to stop in the middle of that, to try and talk to the caps, but also it would have at least been a thought that crossed my mind. Um, but instead, I just didn't notice them at all. They had no recollection, no understanding that they were in my field of vision and probably within like arm's reach um, until I was told like an hour later. Um, so that's that's how it is uh, when you're on the job, I guess. In your defense, it, it was a big game today. <laughs> it was a game today. Big game today. Big game today. <laughs> Go follow us on Instagram if you have no idea what we're talking about. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Big Game Today podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Jason Anderson, Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United, who had a big game this weekend. And wow, was it ever big. Uh, We're going to talk about the dismantling of the Montreal Impact, and we're going to preview DC United's upcoming visit from the Chicago Fire. That game is Sunday at Audi Field, 1 p.m. If you can't make it in person, it'll be on ESPN National Audience. (sighs) Before we do anything, though, Benjamin, what are you drinking? So this isn't exactly a fall drink, even though I am delighted that fall is here. Uh, As an aside, even though I'm not a Halloween person, like I like fall a lot. I think it's my favorite season, but not a Halloween person. Anyways, this is a uh, orange blossom. It is gin and 
uh, orange juice and sweet vermouth. So it, the sweet vermouth cuts the acidity of the orange juice, and it's just nice and pleasant. What's the ratio you got going? It's uh, I'm curious about this. The ratio is one to one to one. It's three quarters ounce, three quarters ounce, three quarters ounce. Okay. All I right. think I, I think I could I think I would tweak it though. I think I, I don't I, I think it could be better than one to one to one. But okay, well, I'll let you know. And, I'll let you know my experimentations. Yeah, please, please do. Uh, we can we can have an ongoing series, not unlike Jason's quest for a certain <laughs> drink. How's that going? Uh, I have good news. Um, the quest is over. Uh. One of our uh, one of our listeners tweeted that uh, he felt like it was becoming a serial uh, podcast, except about me trying to get a mint julep together. Um, the quest is over. I have my mint julep. Um, I made my syrup uh, yesterday. It's pretty much the only thing I did with my Sunday was I made my mint simple syrup. Um, so back when the Derby actually happened, the Kentucky Derby went on. Um, I was. I believe you mean the Kentucky Derby. Uh, he no, not. we fought a war to not have to say Darby. That's, <laughs> that's what the revolutionary war was actually about. Oh, okay. uh, but, uh, so my, uh, I was at a friend's house and he is sort of, uh, on the side. He likes to, um, there's a bit, there's a bit of, uh, a bit like Adam. He likes to try and whip up a, a fancier cocktail. Um, he's, he's trying to figure out some things that go together and he's been working on his mint julep and he was like, try this one. And I tried it and I was like, this is really good. What did you do different? And he said, I started adding brandy uh, as half of the liquor in there. It's not just a um, rye or bourbon julep. Um, and then at the beach, we were up there um, and he still had his notebook and he made a few um, mint juleps while we were up there. And so I'm using his recipe, which with the brandy I have, which is actually uh, Armagnac. It's the Armagnac I've been trying to get rid of over time. Um, you found a it, way to do it. It sounds like, yeah, exactly. And so it's, uh, what is it? Uh, about an ounce and a half of this Armagnac, an ounce and a half of Rittenhouse, uh, rye, the bottled and bond version. That's the 100 proof, um, Rittenhouse. And then, uh, about an ounce of the mint simple syrup. Um, and I've got to say he really figured this out cause this is a uh, pretty damn good. Yeah. I think I've heard that elsewhere. Brandy, um, mm-hmm. mixed in. I hadn't heard the bourbon, substituted for rye as well but that makes sense the brandy can be have a little more sweetness to it and yeah Yeah, i hadn't heard the the rye switch okay yeah for for the bourbon that's usually in a right julep so Um, but i think with you're getting kind of the the same net sweetness by mixing yes brandy which is a little sweeter with with rye which is really not yeah, uh, it, you're still approximating the bourbon, but with more interesting flavors happening beyond it. So that's it, it that makes helps a lot that of it's sense. it helps that it's that the overproof as well. I, I don't yeah. think this would be as yeah. good as a uh, 80 proof standard rye. I think the the bottled and bond was really an important touch. Nice. I'm drinking uh, a a nameless California Merlot. That's actually pretty good. Better than I thought it would be. Why is it nameless? Just because it's secret. No, because it's from a it's a grocery store brand, and I've buzz marketed it on the show before, and you guys gave me stick for it. So this is me <laughs> not buzz marketing a particular grocery store known for having cheap wine. Okay, I mean I often buy Aldi wine, and it's pretty decent. This is from Aldi's brother. Ah, uh, yeah. literally. 
literally Trader Joe's and Aldi were founded by brothers, just like Puma yes. and Adidas were founded by brothers. It's remarkable what German brothers are capable of <laughs> when they fight each other. <laughs> if you ever move to Germany and have two sons, have them fight each other and they will both become millionaires. It's amazing. That, that seems to be a rule, um, which is weird in so many different ways. Anyway, to soccer. Uh, Saturday was Sunday? Sunday? Saturday. 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 Time is hard, okay? Saturday was the biggest day of 2018 so far for DC United. You'd think I would remember which day of the week it was. Uh, it was the biggest night in, or at least the most important night on the field at Audi Field in the building's young history. Uh, DC United entered the night trailing the Montreal Impact by five points with two games in hand. They absolutely had to win this one to have a realistic shot at the playoffs and to keep their destiny within their own hands. And wow, did they ever deliver five nothing to the good guys in front of a sellout crowd down on Buzzard Point. There's a cliche that says in big games, your big players, your big names have to show up. And uh, it's not wrong. There's a, some cliches are around for a reason. This arguably is one of them. And, and Saturday was, was evidence. How's this for showing up? Lucho Acosta, three goals, or in a goal, in three assists. Uh, Wayne Rooney, two goals and assist. Paul Ariola, two goals. Yamil Asad, two assists. Uh, what more can you ask for from from those guys on on this kind of night? They they absolutely delivered. Bill Hamid, uh, some ridiculous saves, uh, point blank on Bakari Sanya in the first half to keep it scoreless. It was uh, Jason. This was this was a night that you know United's big players absolutely came out for. Yeah, they they really delivered. Uh up to the, up to the highest level that they can. And I think um, on the other side of the ball, Montreal's biggest players didn't uh, deliver. Uh, Ignacio Piatti wasn't really that big of a factor and then got yanked, um, which was not really a punishment for him so much as a, we're not winning this game. Um, let's protect our best player for the future kind of sub. Um, unless something came out in the, um, Quebec uh, media that I didn't get a chance to read in the last 24 hours. Uh, that's what I think was going on. Um, Safir Tider was active, but not necessarily having too big of an impact Pun not intended uh, question. Mark. Had that one good shot and that was about it. Yeah. He committed four fouls, uh, yeah. one zero fouls. So he, it wasn't like he was too much of a positive influence on what they were doing. Um, yeah, I, I think this was really a tale. I mean, we try and avoid too many cliches, but um, it, that is kind of how it went. Uh, the biggest players for DC were great, uh, especially in the attacking third. Montreal's biggest players weren't so great. Maybe um, Bakari Sanya on a different night would be able to differ, uh, beg to differ a little bit on that. But on the other hand, on the defensive side, it looked like he wasn't too comfortable trying to figure out Yamil Assad's intentions for most of the night. Um, no one else from Montreal's defense can say they feel good about how things went. Um, so yeah, it, it, it could have gone any number of different ways because this was a game full of giant chances rather than a game where United just completely thrashed Montreal. But um, 
it's awfully nice to know that when you United gets into a potential shootout, that they have the firepower to actually do something. What's weird in this one is how differently it could have gone if Montreal's finishing is granted not not a little better. They they missed the goal on some big chances, but if if their finishing is better on the night and DC United's is less perfect, um, I, I think th- this game could have gone very differently. We talked a lot um on the site and and on social media and other people have noticed noted as well that united were a little lucky to be up one nothing at halftime um ben in in the the first half hour in particular was was not great for dc united no they were on their heels a lot for the uh first half hour even up to 45 minutes they uh were outpossessed. I think like 63% was Montreal's possession. And that was a lot different than what Montreal has typically done. They threw a curveball at United and weren't bunkering in, in the first half nearly as much as we expected them to. And when the, uh, when Lucho Acosta scored that first goal, it was kind of like a relief valve of sorts. It allowed DC to have some room to figure out what they were doing and have some room to, uh, grow into the game and they still weren't great after the goal was scored even but it gave them some breathing room and then the second half happened within the first two minutes and then uh, DC United were off to the races after that they figured it out after halftime and were uh, gangbusters from there on out and Montreal had no way to figure it out and no answers to what DC United put on them yeah, even then they still had a couple of chances, a free kick. There was there was one where Ignacio Piatti is in and Bill Hamid very quickly and very well comes off his line to to stop that attack and his defenders then help bail him out because after making that initial stop um to knock the ball away from Piatti, uh he didn't take out Piatti wisely in his box. Uh, hmm. and and so is suddenly 17 yards from goal trying to defend uh one of the most dangerous players with the ball at his feet in all of MLS. And uh, he did really well. His defenders did really well. And that was the story. Like there was a lot of scrambling kind of defense, especially in the first half, Ben, like you were saying for United, a lot of clearances from inside the six yard box, um, which, which is not great, but I mean, made a couple of very good saves. Yeah. um, Still, it's, it's good to see that that, mode still exists that United can perform emergency defense and and when they have to uh, they, they're not just a team that has to defend on the front foot and turn you over in your own half or else they're going to be fragile because um, on another night this could have gone differently but they were committed they were resolved and it worked out in the end um, Ben you mentioned that Montreal threw a curveball I wonder if some of the possession that they had was the result of Ben Olsen's own curveball. Cause it sounded from his comments after the game that in the first half United intentionally stood off a little bit and let Montreal have the ball, knowing that they are less dangerous with it. And then that didn't work out. Um, as we all saw, we all know knew coming into the game that United was going to be the team with a lot of the ball. Montreal was going to sit back, be try to be really dangerous on the counter. Cause that's how they always play, especially on the road. And then the game happened and neither team did what they were expected, um, which 
Ben Olsen correctly recognized wasn't working in the second half, had his guys come out and play more on the front foot where all year they've been better playing on the front foot and four goals after halftime later, um, United come out of the biggest game with the biggest win. I think in 17 years was the last time United won a game five, nothing. I think that I think this game and the Red Bulls game proves that at this point in DC United's life, as opposed to a, a, a lot of the ways they've been the past for most of Ben Olsen's career, they're better playing their game and come hell or high water. Their, their game plan is the best way for play for them to play. And it's not worth it right now to try and adjust the game plan significantly to the opponent. It, like the three, five, two was interesting, but it only worked for less than a half there. Uh, uh, backing off of the Montreal impact was interesting in theory, but it didn't really work in the first half. So right now, DC United in their four two three one has something going, and I feel like they should uh, uh, turn into that and 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 capitalize on that and keep going with that because team is clicking right now, and that's the formation. It's not the it's not a three five two. It's not a four one four one. It's the four two three one that is really clicking for them right now. And I think they just need to lean into that. And I'm not going to say that they can impose their style on uh, the opposition right now, but all evidence right now is that that is the best formation for them. And that gives them the best chance of winning games. So let's not get cute about it. Let's, let's lean into what the team does well and have that and, and have that take us through the rest of the season and the chips fall where they, where they may. One thing uh, I thought was interesting after halftime, and, and Ben, you mentioned that United might not be a team that can impose their style. They're not the old sporting Kansas City teams. They're not the Red Bulls that are going to just always play at in a you know at, at more RPM than than their opponents. But United can be really good when they press and. One thing they did uh, on Saturday that I thought was a lot like what was working really well at the end of the 2016 season is they were pressing when there was a queue. They had a set queue or a, a couple of them uh, that they they obviously had worked on in training. And when those happened, they pressed hard as a unit. It wasn't like the Red Bulls where it was always pressing when they don't have the ball or, you know, the classic Red Bulls. They're a little bit less like that under Chris Armas, but they're still that's still a part of their identity. Instead, United were pressing at specific moments when they had the right shape to do so and doing so really hard. And and that helped create some of the goals. Jason, I'm wondering if you saw that too, or, um, and, and what your thoughts were. Yeah, it, it certainly looked like, especially as the game wore on that, maybe they got a reminder of what those triggers were. Maybe they changed some things. Um, I know during the first half there was a visible, a visible um, after the uh, first goal, uh, they called Junior Moreno over to change something. And I guess on the broadcast, it came through that it was to um, keep an eye on Alejandro Silva. Um, and, and after halftime, it looked like maybe they got a refresher course on some of that extra stuff. And it, it certainly started to pay off. Um, you know, Montreal ended up, 
some of those goals, they ended up being caught cold by United coming forward in moments they didn't really expect them to be pressing. Um, I think Montreal was kind of expecting with the lead, especially at 2 nothing, they were like, all right, they're going to stand off for the rest of the game because they were standing off earlier. Um, right. And maybe and, and they got caught given by ben surprise Olsen's- by that. Yeah, given Ben Olsen's proclivities in the past, once United has a lead, they usually did stand off. They usually do that. And that was one thing that was nice about this weekend is watching United not stand off and just drop deeper and deeper into their own half with the lead. And some of that is just reading the game that's there. I mean, um, I get the sense that if Montreal were a little more clinical going forward, if they looked a little sturdier in the back, we would have seen United maybe stand off some more. Um, but the fact that the impact just looked unable to defend United whenever they came forward, it's kind of it, it kind of incentivized um, still looking to send those numbers up when the time was right. And that's how you end up with not just five nothing, but I mean, Kevin Ellis could have scored uh, in stoppage time. I think it was um, I think there was another miss oh, yeah. after it was five um, that. you uh, know, this could have, Yeah. Uh, so this could have been more of a blowout than it was. Um, and I think it was United and I don't know that this is necessarily a coaching thing. I think this might've just been the players on the field, um, getting a feel for the fact that the impact were there to be hit up for more goals. Um, and it wasn't a game where they had to necessarily settle in and say, all right, let's just make sure two, nothing is the final score and, and be done with it. Um, I think the players kind of sensed that there was an opportunity to go get more. Um, I think that might've been, that might've informed the late switch from bringing in uh, Zoltan Stieber as the third sub to Darren Maddox, because I think my read on it at least is that Olsen felt like there was a chance for Maddox to get himself on the score sheet and, and he should have gotten an assist on that Segura chance, but um, it was a chance for him to build up his confidence. And and maybe this is one of those things where Olsen's like, look, Maddox has had um, he's gotten kind of the short end of the stick here through no fault of his own. He ends up not starting, um, let's get him a chance to get himself a goal, uh, just as a reward for not rocking the boat afterwards, you know, after that outcome for him. Um, that's my guess as to why that sub was made because Stieber was like ready to go, uh, penny off all that stuff. And then they changed it at the last second. Um, so yeah, I, I think this was one of those where United saw the chance to keep scoring and they decided to really go for it. And, yeah, I got, I got the vibe after the game that the team felt like maybe this was a chance not just to beat Montreal, but to send a statement to Montreal and try and maybe demoralize them down the road because, you know, United can make their pursuit of the, cause we have to remember they're still pursuing that last spot. They aren't there yet. Um, but maybe they make it easier on themselves by, you know, by hammering Montreal. Now Montreal maybe is thinking about that in the next game. Maybe this takes a few days for them to shake off and their training right. isn't very good. Um, Columbus is or Montreal's next game is at home against Columbus, who are very mm-hmm. much fighting for a home playoff game at this yes. point. Right. Um, and and so maybe if you can break them mentally a little bit, or even then, or even just cause them a little a little extra, any little thing to chip away at them, yeah, um, probably helps a little bit. I I definitely can can see that, and it's kind of fun and different that United are in a position to to even have that consideration on their mind. Uh, let's see. One thing not so great from this game, O'Neill Fisher went down with uh, an injury. He collided with Bill Hamid and 
tried to to play through it and it didn't work. Um, it might be a knee injury. I'm not sure. Um, ben Olson said we'd know more after some MRIs. I don't think we've heard anything since then. Um, Kevin Ellis obviously came in for O'Neill Fisher. That may have had something to do with uh, changing Ben Olson's plans for the substitutes and and could could have been a contributing factor to Zoltan Stieber not getting in this game. But uh, the the bigger issue is not Stieber. It's it's O'Neill Fisher going down because he has been a useful part of of the attack in particular. He had a couple of iffy moments on defense in this game, but uh, in all, he's definitely coming to his own with DC United and um, could be a loss if he goes down. Options to replace him, obviously, Kevin Ellis. Uh, his acquisition looks a little bit prescient if Fisher can't go. Nick DeLeon could be close to returning. I don't know if he'd be ready to to jump into the lineup or anything at this point. Jalen Robinson has been used outright in the, in the past. Um, he's better as a center back, I think, and I think that's not a controversial opinion. Uh, but he he could be an option out there. Ben, assuming Fisher is out, which we obviously hope he's not, uh, what do you want to see happen there? What do I want to see? I mean, what I want to see is a fully healthy and 90-minute fit Nick DeLeon, but that, I don't think that's a possibility for this coming weekend. So given what we do have available... I think it's going to be Kevin Ellis again, because obviously Ben Olsen went to him when he had both Jalen and Kevin Ellis at his disposal. Um, For whatever reason, he hasn't put his full confidence in Jalen Robinson. And I've been, I've been pro Jalen Robinson at center back for a long time. So I can understand why he wouldn't want to do it at right back necessarily, but so I think it's going to be Kevin Ellis. I'm okay. I'm, fine with Kevin Ellis. Um, I think it's a fine option. I, I just... I wish it had been addressed far, far earlier, but that's a both a preseason podcast uh, episode and a postseason wrap-up podcast episode about how the fullbacks were never addressed, and it's hurt the team throughout the season. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll throw in um, the fact that uh, when Ellis was with Chicago, he actually was pretty dangerous going forward. Um, I think it was two goals and four assists in 18 games with the the fire playing as a right back after mostly playing at center back in Kansas City. And um, he played center back against Olympia uh, in the midweek game, M- maybe more out of necessity, I think. Um, United had the players they had that they were going to put on the field. And then Richmond sent the players they were willing to send, um, up on loan. And from there it was like, well, how do we cobble together a lineup? And that's how you end up with Jared Jeffrey playing left back. Um, but Ellis did well in that game. Um, he, uh, really made it useful for himself and he was pretty emphatic, um, in the locker room about how as much as, you know, it's a, um, hastily arranged midseason friendly against Olympia, it still meant a lot to him because he knew this was maybe, you know, if no one got hurt, this might be his one great chance to show the coaching staff and show his teammates that if he gets called upon, he's going to deliver. And he delivered in that game. Um, and, you know, in this instance, playing right back off the bench is maybe, 
it may be a little easier playing right back than getting thrown in at center back. Um, but I thought he did all right. I thought there were a couple moments. There was a tackle that he he missed the ball and he missed everything. And if he had made contact, I, I think he would have gotten a red card because of the way his leg was. He wasn't trying to commit a violent tackle, but it would have been yeah. a violent tackle if he had gotten there. It was like um, to the midsection. It was uh, a yeah. it was a bad goal kick from Bill Hamid. Yeah, um, uh, who's had a couple of misplays like that. But yeah, Ellis was definitely trying to get the ball and and could have gotten a cleat full yeah. of somebody's guts. Got 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 away with that one. Um, by by him just not getting anything. Um, there was another play where he stepped high, um, thinking he was going to win the battle to the ball and and maybe misjudged the flight and ended up getting bumped aside and and was out of the play essentially from there. Um, but those are, you know, it's two mistakes, um, rather than a bunch of mistakes. Um, I think with more reps, I think he'll be fine. I, I think with the amount of time DeLeon was out, I would be really surprised if he is more than 20, 30 minutes in his legs for the weekend. Um, and that's, that's the ceiling. That's not my expectation. That's like, if, right, if everything exactly. is perfect, you know, um, so yeah, I don't think he's going to be ready to be thrown out there. I think he's only been training at 100% for a week, maybe. Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to see Ellis start unless this is a, if you guys remember the Perry kitchen, the injury that looked horrible and then he was fine, uh, through magic or having, uh, adamantium. It's well yeah, established that Perry kitchen is at least one quarter machine at this point. Right. Um, but the, you know, the, the thing with the Fisher injury is, um, you know, that the team hopes it's not severe, uh, and they're, you know, having the MRI to, to look at exactly how bad it is. But even if we're talking about just a sprain rather than a tear, as, as we've known from seasons past, when you have, uh, a knee ligament sprain in September, and I'm thinking about Dwayne De Rosario here, mostly, um, you're probably not coming back until the playoffs at best. Um, so if, if we're talking about just the knee sprain, we're probably not going to see Kevin Ellis or um, we're not going to see O'Neill Fisher, uh, playing any minutes until sometime in the playoffs. United might have to get a couple rounds into the playoffs to get him back on the field. And that's, that's just a sprain. If it's worse than that, then he wouldn't be back in time for the start of next season if, it, if it's more severe. So, um, I think even if the news is good, it's still bad. Um, is, is what I'm getting at here. Cause, um, Fisher has been really good. Um, he's really found himself. Uh, I think he's better. I think he's been better in the last month or so than he ever was with the Sounders. Um, and so the fact that he's gotten to that level and found that confidence and then has this happen, um, is not the best news at all for him and for the team. So, um, I'm hopeful that, Maybe they go in there and they're like, you know, this is a minor sprain in the end. It just swelled up a lot for whatever reason. Um, that would be great news, but it would still mean he's probably not going to be back for, you know, most of most of, if not all of the regular season. Anything else you guys want to hit from Saturday other than it was a very big game that went very, very well. I just want to throw out, I mentioned this before we started recording, but, uh, I think that Dave Johnson was the only uh, MLS announcer this season and probably in the last uh, 10 seasons to make a William Henry Harrison reference uh, during this broadcast. Uh, he said, 
Lucharu and Areola 2 after the third goal, which is a reference to William Henry Harrison and John Tyler's uh, election uh, slogan. And I just found it delightful. I thought Dave Johnson has, was in really great form for this game, and it just delighted me uh, on all levels. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, I feel like if we... I don't think we've said his name quite enough, given that he was uh, astoundingly brilliant. I think we need to talk about Luciano Acosta just by himself. Yeah, oh, that's well, a yeah, point. probably. We, we, we glossed <laughs> over. We we definitely did gloss over how good uh, he and everyone else were. Like this, Lucho Acosta's performance was so good that I think even before the game was over, Matt Doyle from MLSsoccer.com was was tweeting that there is nobody else that should be Player of the Week. Unless like Joseph Martinez scored five for Atlanta against the Red Bulls. Spoiler alert: He didn't. Uh, Lucho has to be the Player of the Week, and anyone not voting for Lucho as Player of the Week is dumb and bad. <laughs> and and dumb. just those kind of absolutes. One goal, um, three assists. Yeah, he's now the league leader in assists. Yes, he is. He is putting himself into the. MLS MVP conversation right now, along with, I mean, Joseph Martinez is going to win it and, and that's there's little question that he should, but the race is for second place right now between, I, I, I would say, especially after this game, uh, Piatti was in that conversation. Lucho has, has pushed himself ahead of Piatti. Um, but Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you may have heard of him. He plays soccer for the LA galaxy. Uh, he's also in that conversation, but so, so, you know, you know, just, just some guys playing soccer, being good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lutro, the, the difficulty of his first finish, um, uh, you know, it's not one of those goal of the week candidates, but like to shoot back across the grain like that and the window he's fitting it into, he kissed the post on the way in, um, it's the kind of finish like we talked about how good it was to have United finishing so so sharply early in the game. This was the sharpest finish by far. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a period of the game where United needed something good to happen, um, you know, that goal, I think, was a real sucker punch in a lot of ways. And I think it was a goal that United really needed. Um, and the funny thing was, when you look at Acosta after he scored, it doesn't look like he felt any, there was no, no surprise in his eyes that that worked. He was like, yeah, of course it would go in. Uh, what are you guys, what are you talking about? Um, I can score that goal all day long. Um, and it, that says a lot about where he is, uh, his, his mindset right now. Um, after the game, uh, one of the questions, actually, I think this was, uh, one that Steven Streff asked himself, um, when we were all mobbed around, we were actually, um, I guess maybe this is the best way to put it. Acosta's performance was so good that this was the first time in the locker room that the Giants, the biggest scrum around a player wasn't around Wayne Rooney at first. It was around Luciano Acosta and they did the Acosta interview. And there was a moment where a team staffer had to actually ask um, some people off to one side, like, can you make a little room so Wayne, uh, Wayne can change into his clothes? Um, because we had the mob had actually taken up the space that he, his locker was in. Um, but yeah, uh, Steven asked him a question about, he said, Did, you know, do you think this is your very best form, uh, in your career? And, um, you know, Lucho gets a, there's a translator. Um, but it's, it's mostly so he can make sure he's hearing the question correctly and have his answer come out cleanly as well. 
Um, right. He he understands enough English where he gets what that question means. And, yeah. you know, normally players are trying to keep a, a straight face when they answer the questions, but he couldn't help but break into a little smile when he heard, <laughs> you know, do you think this is your very best form? He couldn't. And it, was, it wasn't a, like, smile where he was being, uh, you know, mocking the question or anything. He was just... He was kind of happy to hear. He's like, yeah, I think maybe it is. Um, so that that kind of that's the kind of place that he's at right now. And it's pretty amazing to see. I mean, he's the MLS leader in assists. Uh, the last time I haven't checked into this because I don't there's not a calendar where you can see who led MLS in assists from every week from 96 to now. But uh, the last time I feel like that was the case for a DC United player might have been Marco Echeverry. Um so these are rare times and we we should we should savor this because uh you don't get this every day even if you have great players you don't get this every day. Um yeah. so these are this is a special a special moment for him and a special moment for us as fans. And I think it's worth noting too that Lucho had the biggest scrum in in the locker room on a night when Wayne Rooney scored two goals. <laughs> yeah. Normally, uh, I, and, and kudos to the press corps for recognizing the night he had and not just saying the biggest name on the team scored two goals. That's the only story that matters. Um, most people and most, even most fans that, that I talked to haven't been able to stop talking about Lucho on this night. And again, Wayne Rooney had two goals. This is, right. this is a really smart and, and understanding fan base uh, w- when it comes to what's happening on the field. And that's fun. That's a fun thing to be a part of. And this is a, a fun moment for, for DC United fans. And, and hopefully they get those two points on Montreal. They need to, to catch them and, you know, more points to pass them. Hopefully it happens this weekend. DC United beats the fire. Montreal falls at home to the crew. And, and we're just, you know, then, then writing the rest of the season and, and looking forward to the playoffs. Um, and, and we'll see, I, I want to throw some love Paul Ariola's way to, uh, a couple of goals and he helped make Rooney's second goal happen. Um, he's figuring out how to deploy his speed. And I think more importantly, his acceleration in, in really intelligent ways in the final third, uh, both in attack and, um, when United is, is pressing and without the ball. And, and that's good to see as well. Um, especially knowing that, that, the national team has had concerns about his, his end product and he is contributing, but wh- whether he gets the ball or not, he's, he's helping the team right now. And that's also a good thing. I, I, I was the person that asked him the celebration question that uh, I tweeted out from the site account, uh, mostly because other people had asked my serious questions and I was still there. So I figured I would throw in the last one. Um, it's a good question. Yeah, the, the question was basically, you're scoring so many goals right now. Have you thought about diversifying your celebrations? Because you just, you have, you're scoring a lot. Uh, and he, he kind of laughed at the idea, but uh, um, you know, the fact that, that he's all of a sudden, like he, he was the guy where it was like, Paul Ariel's a really good player, but does he produce enough in the end? Um, and now we're talking about a guy who, keeps consistently producing goals and assists for, for DC United. It's not just some games he comes up big and then other games it's the, it's the old thing um, that was the knock on him with Sholos was that he's going to play really well, but will he give you anything on the score sheet Um, in this last week 
you know, he he's or not last week, but the the last two games, I should say, um, he's put up three goals. Um, he's on the season already at seven goals, eight assists. Like he could get to 10 and 10, which is always the benchmark of an attacking player who had a really good MLS season. If they're getting to 10 and 10, they did the job. Um, so that's his evolution as a player. Um, he's really, he came here to take on more responsibility, but also to improve. And he's actually, he's improved quite a bit, um, just as an individual. So, um, I think it's, Quite frankly, it's it's a little silly that he didn't get called up to the national team. Um, but I have my own. We, we're not going to do a that. national team segment. But uh, I mean, no, for, for DC United, it helps that he's getting a rest. But in terms of if you're the national team and you're calling in your best players, you should have called in Paul, Paul Ariola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if you're the national he's team. He's going to be available then, for two games that he otherwise yes, wouldn't and that's be, good which news. is. Because yeah. we didn't honestly, we weren't necessarily expecting that. Um, he was one of the players that I thought United was going to have to find a way to do without against Dallas and TFC, and now instead, at least from right now, that that roster has Bradley called up and Reggie Cannon called up. So Dallas is going to be without their starting right back. TFC is going to be without their starting central midfielder. So um, that was a good piece of news for DC United's purposes. I. I I don't want to celebrate too much because I know for Paul Ariola that this is it's still pretty meaningful to play for the national team, and I hope that they're not holding it against him that he opted to come back to help his club team uh, rather than play a meaningless friendly. Um, I think that, but, in my gut, I think that Ben Olsen uh, used his Jedi magic and his longtime standing relationship with Dave Sarakin to just be like, "No, this isn't happening. I need these players." I, I mean, I. I would hope that Sarah can thought this through and was like, look for some of these teams, it's do or die. And um, taking a player from them to play a friendly isn't the best move, but then you also need to go through and call those players and explain to them like, look, I didn't leave you out because I think you're not on the roster. I just left you out because um, these are friendlies and you're playing, your team is playing for its season right now. Um, But we don't know that. The U.S. have has lost players because yes. a coach failed to do that. Yes, and we don't so. we don't know what was behind it. And I find it difficult these days to give U.S. soccer the benefit of the doubt. Like I hope the situation I outlined is what happened, but I don't think that's what happened. Um, and I only hope that it's not um, a situation where he's being punished for opting to come back and help his club team in a more important game than a random friendly. Um, but U.S. soccer still has, we're, you know, over a year from, uh, or what is it? Is it a, almost a full year from the failure to qualify? Um, and they haven't really done a lot. Yeah, it was to November give- of last year. Right. So, but they haven't given us a reason to trust them very oh, much no. yet. Oh, so yeah. um, I, I hope for Ariola's sake that this is just a, you have more important games than a friendly to play, so we're not going to call you in, but... Uh, I have my doubts about the national team program right now, actually thinking that one through. Also, I mean, uh, just to counterpoint briefly, Sarah will be gone soon. So hopefully his opinion doesn't matter at all. Yeah, that'll be a plus. You know, he'll probably be gone soon. We might just keep going with uh, the interim tag all the way through world cup qualifying. Who the hell knows at this point? If he gets hired or <laughs> not replaced, I'm just going to like punch my face. 
forever. <laughs> He's not going to be hired as the permanent coach. He'll just be a very long-term interim coach. If he is interim, as Ernie Stewart goes through candidate after candidate after candidate. If he is interim after January 1, 2019, I will begin to punch my face. We should we should turn that into content. Yes. <laughs> we could we could raise money for charity with that, Ben. No, I'm going to raise money for me because I'll be punching my own face. <laughs> yeah, but what the charity we'll, could be we'll to raise, raise a money lot for more money fixing your broken face. Ben punches his own face for charity, as opposed to Ben punches his own face for profit. There, there's but a big. I wouldn't be for profit. It'd be for, for that. It wouldn't be for profit in the title. It'd be for the clicks, and the clicks would be my profit. <laughs> Welcome to late stage capitalism, people. Yeah, it's all terrible. Which is a really weird way to end a segment about <laughs> DC United winning a game five to nothing <laughs> against their closest playoff rivals. But this is filibuster. You should have expected it. Please stick around. We will be right back to talk a little bit about the Chicago Fire. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Somehow, we've reached the month of October without DC United having played against the Chicago Fire in the 2018 regular season. That all changes Sunday, 1 o'clock in the afternoon on ESPN. The men in red pay their first visit to Audi Field. James Bridget Gordon manages Black and Red United's sister site, Hot Time in Old Town. And uh, they're here to help us preview this one. James Bridget, welcome to Filibuster. Thanks for having me. We have a tradition here. What are you drinking? I'm really boring tonight. Uh, I'm having water. I'm on a bit of a health kick lately, so I'm trying to, to make sure I get all my water intake and stuff. In. How is Chicago's water? Is it okay? Does it suck? Um, is it good? It, it used to be really good. Lake Michigan tap water was some of the best in the country. Uh, under ROM, some regulations have been relaxed and snuck <laughs> in there. You know, no one will take responsibility for it. No one's going to fix it. So, you know, but I mean, huh. we, yeah, I mean, it, it's, we have a, a Brita filter at home though, so it's fine. 
Nice. So I'm going to go off topic here and, and talk about Chicago's water <laughs> for a second. Because <laughs> the, Chicago River, <laughs> the Chicago River used to flow into Lake Michigan. That's and right. It no and longer then does. We beat it into this, submission until it went the other direction. Yes. <laughs> somehow, Chicago on the shores of Lake Michigan is in the Mississippi River watershed, and that is because of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and it is awesome. And just and, yelling at the water, telling uh, it to go the other way. They, they, they the dug a lake. channel. They dug a little channel and made it deeper than and the yelled, Chicago River, and that just reversed the flow. It was and yelled at the river loudly until it went to. Well, they uh, paid a beaver to yell at the the river, but yes, Mike Dicka himself yelled at the Chicago <laughs> River. He just tackled the water. It was like no, they probably traveled they back in time. To they probably just found him up. screaming, and we're like, let's just pull <laughs> him at the river, and he'll get to the point eventually that we need him to yell. Uh, I, person, they man. really just put a bear's sweater vest next to the river and it said, okay, we get your, I get your point and went the other way. Or, or they found him screaming at the river and was like, maybe you'll be a good footballman. And then they put him on the football field. A, a footballman? A footballman. I like this. Yes, this is exactly. much better than the old term. <laughs> which I refuse to use now. Yes. They're all footballmen now. Footballman. Footballman. Uh, in this other sport that some people call football, uh, JBG, the fire have uh, had some up and down form over the last couple of years, but Lots we'll, of we'll get to all that. <laughs> Lots of we'll down. A lot of down, and I can relate to that, but, but before we get to that, we have to talk about this this goal from Georgie Mihailovic over the weekend. That was a lovely strike the kid had. Yeah, um, I, okay, so th- it happened pretty early in the game, and it, I was I was in the mindset where I was just kind of emotionally prepared to, to lose this game and lose it really badly, and, you know, we weren't playing really well in the opening minutes, so I was just like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and then Jordy hit that shot, and I'm like, I yelped. I, I audibly yelped in my living room. Like the, the people I live with had to come in and say, like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm pretty sure the um, LAFC defender made exactly the noise you made. Yeah. 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 Basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that whole game was just ridiculous. I, I don't know how it happened. I don't know how we won, but we did. Um, I feel like we robbed a bank because we don't, we didn't, I mean, I hate saying we didn't deserve to win, but like on the basis of like the whole season, like you definitely wouldn't have, you know, pegged that result. Um, And, you know, I think, I think we did okay enough in the game. Like there were points when LAFC really outplayed us, Um, but you know, we, we, we stopped them from, from get, from getting their end of the job done. And we got those three goals, including Mihailovic's whatever that was. So, you know, it's like, whether or not we deserved it, we got it. And I'll take it. <laughs> I'm sure they will, too. I'm sure the team will, too. Yeah. Again, I relate. Uh, I, I support a team that in 2017 was not very good, but somehow beat Atlanta United three different times. I, so. saw, that game. I saw those games, too. That was wild. Uh, <laughs> Soccer is a that weird game. good, though. So last year, the Chicago Fire finished third in the East, uh, generally a very fun team to watch. And this year, 10th place in the East. What the hell happened? 
We can so, stop the segment right there, or at least move on to the next question if you don't want to go into more detail no, no, that, because that was pretty revealing. It's it's hard to pin down to one thing. Um, you know, there are some fans who say that uh, this is a that our 2018 season is about our level, and that last year was kind of a fluke. I don't really believe that. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that we, I think we deserve the success we got last year. Um, and I think we could have replicated that this year. A couple problems. Uh, Jordy Mihaljevic was on the injured reserve for injured list for much of this year. So was Michael DeLue. And that ended up being more of a problem than we, than I think people anticipated at the time. Uh, we also traded away David Akam and we replaced him with uh, Alexander Katai. And the, in terms of goals scored, I think it's come out to about even. Um, I, I think Katai has only scored like a few goals fewer than Akam did last year. But we never really, we never really replaced his speed uh, after you know, in the offseason. And there were a couple other positions when we need, where we needed clear upgrades, and we didn't get it. Um, in particular, uh, we lost Jao Myra, um, our center back uh, last year, and we didn't, we didn't replace him. And that has been a huge problem all year. And then, uh, um, you know, Richard Sanchez, our goalkeeper hasn't been doing great this year. And it's just, it wasn't one thing. It's been like a whole bunch of things. And then like, once that losing mentality set in around April or May, it was just really hard to, break out of it and that's not even ca- talking about all the off off the pitch stuff with the supporter protests and yeah, um so it this is my long way of saying it's a lot of things and none of which are real were really immediately fixable and it was just sort of they had to just keep playing their games and hope something would something would magically turn around and it never happened and then our last hope for the season was the U S open cup and we crashed down the semis and now it's just, we're just kind of doing whatever. So James Bridget, uh, the fire had a catastrophic, probably eight game losing streak in the, uh, in the key prime part of the year, but they're, they only have one loss in the last five is anything actually better or is it just uh, the vagaries of the schedule that are making it seem better Uh, right now? I think, so I think some of it is luck. I think also some of it is just, we have nothing to lose anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. We we weren't, we weren't mathematically eliminated from the playoffs until that loss against New York city FC a week or so ago. Um, But before then it's like, it was pretty obvious we weren't getting into the postseason. So after, you know, we played uh, Columbus in late August and then we took a month off or three, three and a half weeks off from MLS. Uh, we had Bastian Schweinsteiger's testimonial in Munich. Uh, but other than that, we just, we were off for three weeks in the middle of the season. Um, and so um, by the time we came back, like players were rested, but I think there was also this acknowledgement that, we're not we're not making the postseason. We're, we're we may still mathematically be in it at this point, but it's just not going to happen. And so I think that you know 
when when you have that lost season, you get to a point where like the results don't matter anymore, and it's just about trying. It's all about like moral victories. You know, it's trying to finish the season strong. Mm-hmm. It's, it's playing for your jobs, and you know, it's you know the manager trying to you know figuring out if he wants to come back next year. So it's all these like there all the expectations have shifted now, and it's not about making the playoffs. It's not even really about winning anymore. It's just, you know, go out there and do the best you can, but otherwise don't worry about it. And I, it's possible that that with that pressure lifted, maybe they're playing a little better now. Um, I, I don't know for sure if that's the thing, but it's, it's a, it's a hypothesis I can get behind. You mentioned the issues with the, um, the supporters and the fans, and I recommend anyone who doesn't know what's happening to go read Hot Time in Old Town. But uh, a little more generally, is it fun to be a Chicago Fire fan right now? And what do you think the front office needs to do to make it fun again? No, it's not fun. Um, And it's not just about the results. I mean, if you build a winning team, like fun does kind of coalesce. But mm. I, I think a lot of I think a lot of fans just want a team they can be proud of and they want to feel part of the club. Um, and I, you know, there's there's not a lot to feel proud of because there's a sense that the club isn't doing everything they could to be competitive. Maybe not necessarily bring home silverware, um, but at least you know, feel, you know, to be able to go into every game thinking you can win. We haven't had right. that since really last year, and then. You know, um, there was also this sense, this sense that the club used to belong to the fans, um, you know, since the Pure Wilt days and whatever. And under this new regime, under, you know, uh, particularly under the ownership of Andrew Hoffman and in recent years under Nelson Rodriguez versus first as club president and now as general manager. I'm sorry, no, I'll reverse that. First as general manager and now as club president. Um, they've sort of gone out of their way to tell fans that the club does not belong to them in any sense. And Mm -hmm. that, um, (laughs) you know, uh, they are the final arbiters of what constitutes a good fan. And that doesn't include sector Latino and it doesn't really include section eight. And uh, so it's, it's weird. Like it, and, and, I, I, I feel like it really does feel like for a lot of fans that the club is trying to basically phase section eight out and, you know, sector Latino out and say like, we have a particular idea of what a good fire fan is and what kind we want at Toyota park soon to be SeatGeek stadium. Um, and oh, that sucks. That's yeah, yeah. I just hate that. Uh, <laughs> and and you know that that's that's the fan base they're going to cultivate, and that fan base is families. Um, it's casual fans who come maybe one game a year. Uh, it's people getting Groupon deals, uh, and it's it's people who aren't really that emotionally invested. They're they're it's they they're basically trying to turn the fire into minor league baseball, where it's a fun uh-huh. day out. You know, and it's, you know, there's, there's cool, fun promotions and people doing the wave and it can be fun, but it's not major league soccer and it's not the culture of the Chicago fire. And, um, the, it really feels like the front office has said, not only are we not interested in cultivating this, we think this is actually against our business plan. 
and um, you can, you know, so and they're telling Section Eight, you can either buy into this vision of of a fire fan that we have, or you can get the hell out. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, to answer the question of, of what the what the front office could do to, to make being a fan fun um, is I think they have to reorient their entire like business plan and also their whole idea of what makes a good fan, because it's not really compatible with what the, the culture of Chicago Fire supporters has been um, over the past two decades. And I mean, failing that, they have to, you know sell the club to somebody else. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Like it's, I don't know how any of this gets fixed without out external intervention. You know, like I don't see how this happens without Don Garber coming in and basically pulling a Columbus on us, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask another, uh, on the field question, but I'm going to switch it up. Uh, the USL team that is in theory going to get a downtown Chicago stadium. Do you like, do you think that's a ploy to like convert the Chicago fire to that team and, and move the Chicago fire downtown? Or is that just going to end up being a totally separate team? That's a good question. I've, I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard some, some rumblings that, this ownership group behind like the USL team, they originally wanted to buy out the fire and move them to the new stadium in Lincoln yards. And I guess uh, Andrew Haltman said, thanks, but we're good. Um, And so they were really committed to having a soccer stadium as part of the Lincoln yards development, uh, which they were planning on doing anyway. Uh, It was part of Chicago's plan to try and lure Amazon here so they could build their second headquarters here but i guess they're moving forward with it anyway regardless of whatever jeff bezos decides um and so um they really wanted to so- they really wanted a soccer stadium there um and they needed a soccer team to be there and i think they tried to reach out to the fire to bring them in um and the the current ownership group said no thank you so now they're just going ahead with their own like separate professional team. Again, this is all like stuff I've heard. I don't know for sure this is true. So like, please do not quote me on this stuff. Um, you know, and, and if anyone from the fire front office is hearing like, this is all hearsay, you know, to, this is not me reporting on stuff or whatever. This is just like stuff I've heard out in the wild. Don't at me. <clears throat> yeah, basically. <laughs> and um, uh, so, I mean, it's, 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 there's, uh, I don't know. There's, there's so many possibilities with this. Um, I think it's possible that this is all part of a plan to get the fire out of Bridgeview and get them back into the city, which would be great. Um, I think it's also possible that the fire are going to have done to them what the league did to Columbus, where Altman is going to take the team and move it somewhere else. And, uh, whatever the Chicago USL project is, they'll end up being an MLS before too long. Um, it is possible. We'll just have two professional teams in the city. Um, I think we can handle it probably. Um, but it's, it's the next few years. are going to be really weird. Uh, and I don't know how all this ends. Uh, I, I guess, uh, since I'm the, 
the nerd that always brings it back onto the field. Um, I'll, I'll do that. I'll fulfill my role. Hey, um, read the room. <laughs> never, never will I read a room. Um, never log off. <laughs> yeah, things oh, Jason will never, never log, log off. off. Read the room. Yes, uh, painfully true statements, both of them. <laughs> um, but it, it's not like you know the season went has gone really badly uh, by I think most expectations. But it's not like Chicago stood still. Um, which is something that in DC we've seen seasons where it's like, why don't they do something? Um, Chicago traded for a bunch of players that on some have had at least some MLS success just from this, um, this weekend's 18 Raheem Edwards started. Um, Nico Hostler was on the bench. Uh, Yuramov Sissian, uh, was on the bench. Um, are any of these these midseason acquisitions have any of them really made enough of a difference where you're thinking that in 2019 this is a player that actually could be a part of something uh, as far as moving up the table? Sure. Um, Raheem Edwards has been a very pleasant surprise. Um, I don't think anyone really expected anything from him, but uh, he's been. Really, uh, you know, he's played in different positions over at Toronto. Uh, here, he's mostly been an attacking winger, and he's he's done really well. Uh, he's he's really fast. He's created a lot of chances, and I think you know there were times when the the Chicago's attack was really like static and not doing a whole lot, and Raheem Edwards would was the the provided most of the creative spark. Um, in an otherwise kind of stale attack. And so I think if he, if he can build on this and stick around next year, I think he could be, you know, if not a starter, then at least a really good, like super sub kind of thing. Um, Nico Hasler, I think has done okay as, uh, as a fullback for us. Um, I don't, want him starting for us next year, but I'd love to have him stick around as, as like a bench defender. Uh, you, you know, especially if next year, like Matt Pulser is healthy again, because I really, really want to get that Pulser Vincent uh, outside back tandem back. Cause that, mm. that was the best like fullback pair in the league in 2017. I really want to get that magic back. Um, but I'd also, if, if, if Hasler is willing, I'd love for him to stick around and be like, yeah, at least a bench option or, and then playing in the cup. Um, Moivisian, I don't know. I have to see more from him. Um, I'm perfectly fine with him being our, our backup striker versus Alan Gordon. Cause I really want Alan <laughs> Gordon off the roster. Like, yeah. like with with a quickness. <laughs> Not, uh, I could go on at length about how much I actively dislike Ellen Gordon being in fire red. With, uh, with good reason. Saying, he's bad on <laughs> he's bad on soccer and personal levels. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a bad soccer player, and I think it's silly that a lot of fire fans have convinced themselves that he's good. Uh, and I think it's, pardon me. Um, and I think they've mostly done that to sort of like trigger the libs in a, in a sense. Um, but also as a personal thing, it's, it's not even so much that I dislike him and that he really doesn't like people like me. If that makes any sense. Sure does. It, so, it sadly is pretty much what he's, he's established as his views. Yep. Um, Oh, go ahead. Oh no, that's it. That's oh, it. Okay. Um, uh, 
no, that, of the people that we brought in, I, I mean, one or two of them might work out. Um, Edwards, I think, might be good. I don't like what we got rid. Of. I don't like what we had to, the price we had to pay to get those people. I think John mm-hmm. Baccaro was a really promising talent, and I think sending him to uh, sending him off to Toronto for such a low price is ridiculous, especially considering how much we gave up in the draft to get him. I I don't know. I, I, I feel like that was the wrong move. Even if Edwards and Hasler end up making good, it was just not... I, I'm still baffled by the trade, honestly. And I, I, I feel like John DeCaro could have been a really promising talent for us, and we just gave him up for almost nothing. Um, sticking with some of the, I mean, the theme when I, when I look at the recent fire teams have actually started to get results is still just how much has changed in a short amount of time. Um, you mentioned earlier, uh, that goalkeeper has been kind of in flux and lately, um, Stefan Cleveland has been getting some looks. Uh, is he establishing himself as someone that might become an actual starter or is it just more of a, we don't know what to do right now, so we're going to give everybody a shot. Um, it's. I wish it were the latter. I wish it were. We don't know what we don't know what we've got right now, so let's just give all our French players a shot. Because um, I think I, I think I'd be fine with with Velko Panovic doing that, uh, but I think he should lean into it. And if he if that's what he's going for, then he's not doing that enough because there are other French players on the roster like Drew Connor who aren't getting chances and I think deserve it. Uh, but Stefan Cleveland, I think is definitely sort of, well, we're out of the playoff race. You know, if we're lucky, we won't finish last in the conference. So nothing matters anymore. Let's just play the kids. Um, so I think, I think that's definitely part of it. And also I think it's just because Richard Sanchez is not doing great. So it's, mm-hmm. there's no, there's not a whole lot of downside to giving Stefan Cleveland a chance. Um, I, I think he's, I mean, it looks like he's trying to make the most of his opportunities. He did really well against LAFC. Uh, I think there's no reason why he can't continue that momentum. And I mean, who knows if he keeps this up through the end of the season, if he impresses in preseason next year, you know, and, and if we don't sign anybody of note in the off season, I don't see why he couldn't be our starting goalkeeper in 2019. I'd be okay with it. Um, I, I guess my last question, we, we probably have to talk about uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger, um, not just as someone who can bring the team over for three weeks to hang out in Germany, which, I mean, it sounds fun. Um, it, it was a lot of fun from what I've heard. I didn't get to yeah. watch the game because they put it on some random streaming service and charged 20 bucks to watch it. I'm like, no, of course. I'm good. I mean, uh, I'd like I, to I go hang out in Germany fun. for three weeks. Yeah. Oh, what? I would very much like to go hang out in Germany for three weeks. You know, as I part of too. my job, I would too. Um, somebody should hire me to go to Germany for three weeks. <laughs> I for agree. Long. Someone should hire you and also me to do that. Yes, all of us. We should all go to Germany. It'll be great. Uh, I mean, I'm in. great. Give me like twenty minutes to throw some stuff in a backpack. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, last year, you know, Schweinsteiger played some scare quotes center back, but he was really a libero in a very flexible system that sometimes he would push up into the midfield um, and the wingbacks would drop in and sometimes they would push up and he would drop in and and make it a back three. Um, In the last few weeks, he's just been playing straight up traditional center back in a back four. Um, 
is this just a, you know, we don't have any other options thing, or is this, uh, is, is Panovich sort of trying to, t- trying to create some new paradigm that hasn't quite panned out? What's going on? I think Velko Panovich has a weird fetish for playing his p- players out of position. He has been playing, for example, Brandon Vincent, who is one mm-hmm. of the best fullbacks in the league, has been playing as a center back for long stretches of this season. Uh, it's gone to the point where those of us at Hot Time were seriously considering making t-shirts that say, Brandon Vincent is not a center back. <laughs> uh, that's basically been our unofficial tagline of this season. Brandon Vincent is not a center back. Uh, he's played Diego Campos, uh, a wide attacking player, as fullback. He has played uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger as a center back and in his natural number six role and as a number 10 uh, and once for a little while as a striker. Um, And uh, he's, I think he played uh, Alexander Katai as a, as a central midfielder for one game earlier this season. Uh, I I have to go back over my old notes from earlier in the year to look. Um, He just has this thing where he plays players out of position, and sometimes it's him trying out new things, and sometimes it's out of spite because he fights with his players and he punishes them by not playing them, or when he does play them, he plays them in an unfamiliar position and then watches them squirm while they try to figure out a job they're not suited for. (laughs) Do we have any proof that Velko and Jurgen Klinsmann are not the same person? I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I think I, I, uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but you know, I'm, I'm ready to, to believe that, you know, we've never seen them in the same room. Have we? No, we, we definitely haven't. Uh, so I want to believe I don't want to believe. Uh, I, want, I, I want Jurgen to go to the LA Galaxy because that would be a delightful time. <laughs> I don't know. I really like the idea. I really like the idea of Jurgen coaching the Galaxy in his prime persona and wearing a disguise to coach the fire at the same time. Oh my god! Let me let me just throw this out there. Um, if Klinsman does take the Galaxy job, which obviously would be incredibly hilarious and great for all of us outside of galaxy fandom um sorry josie uh, who who is uh who is Mourinho going to coach in mls when he inevitably comes over here to be angry for six months and then quit Inter miami nycfc probably probably inner miami almost definitely inner miami what if he did like a rage quit at one and then went to the other and then rage quit there as well Oh um, my god, we'll never be rid of him. We will literally right, he'll just bounce around the country angrily, yeah. I mean, angrily quitting. I mean, not needs, just the country. He's gonna coach the white caps at some point. No, he needs to <laughs> he needs to coach the uh Colorado Rapids. They are like his spirit. Oh animal. my god. <laughs> That's perfect, Ben. They In really its are. way. Like but but he needs to stay there. Like something needs to hook him and he's like, I Oh, can't. for sure. I'm going to stay until this team is good and they'll just both mutually be bad forever. The coach who famously yes. stays nowhere for longer than three years ends up being a 15 year fixture <laughs> outside of Denver. Exactly. Oh God. Oh my God. <laughs> Everything is bad. <laughs> Welcome to 2018, James Bridget. We're almost done with it. Hey. <laughs>
it being everything, not not just 2018. Uh, let's one more question on on this game. We like to end our segments asking our our friends who support other teams to ask how they would game plan against their teams. Were they in Ben Olsen's very nice sneakers? So if you were game planning against Panovich and the fire, what would you be focusing on? What would you be trying to do? Um, I would try to get uh, speed out uh, as much speed out on the wings as possible. Uh, we're really, we're really strong in the middle of the park. Um, our midfield is pretty solid, but out on the wings, we're pretty, kind of weak, especially in games where we play like makeshift fullbacks or um you know, last couple of games we've been playing Michael DeLue out wide and he can do that, but it's not he's not great at it. Um so speed and width it has been an ongoing problem for the fire, so I would try to find ways to exploit that. Um and then I would just keep ratcheting up the pressure on the back line because they the this our defensive line has, has shown time and again that if you if you keep it up against them, they will crack. And I think, you know, Wayne Rooney is exactly the kind of player that can, like, run circles around this back line and, you know, give them problems that they have no answers to. So I, I think that, you know, as, if they can get some speed out wide and then just give Rooney, um, you know, free reign, uh, I think they'll. I think they could do pretty well. All right. Well, I know most of our listeners are certainly hoping something like that happens. Uh, James Bridget, please tell our listeners where they can find you online. Uh, so I'm uh, I, I'm at Hot Time in Old Town, which is Black and Red United's uh, sister site. Uh, it's www.hottimeinoldtown.com. Uh, I'm as of today, I'm also the digital editor for Howler Magazine, so you can check Great. us out. Yay. Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. So uh, please check us out at uh, whatahowler.com. And if you're not subscribed to the print magazine, you should go do that. Issue 15 is shipping this week. Um, and then you can find me at Thaumatropia on Twitter. All right. Uh, regular listeners will know this spiel. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at blackandredu for the website at filibusterdcu for the podcast. The bio for the podcast has all our personal Twitters in it. If you want to follow us individually, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we take love letters we take hate mail we take questions comments and most of all we take advertising inquiries find us on itunes stitcher soundcloud wherever you get your podcasts mostly though please tell a friend about the show and support us financially at patreon.com slash filibuster thanking james bridget one more time uh, i'm adam taylor for ben bromley and jason anderson we'll talk to you real soon say goodbye jason always read the room Always log off, never use an oxygen comma. All three of these things are opinions you can't have.